Morning, everyone. Um, welcome to the penultimate day of the new Austrian School series of lectures in Munich. Uh, today, uh, Professor is going to be talking about the significance of the gold standard, and then in the afternoon we have Keith on the inflationary and deflationary spiral. Over to Professor. Um, thank you, Sandy. <clears throat> Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Um, today, Sunday, I thought a lighter fare might be appropriate, especially in this morning. We have a little bit heavier stuff in the afternoon. Uh, so I am going to talk about two papers which are included in your uh, Value. I'll uh, refer you to the article entitled The Gold Standard by Ludwig von Mises. It's, I think it's in the early part of the book. And then a second paper with the title The Significance of the gold standard. And this is an edited version of a paper by Walter E. Spar, who uh, died in 1970. But he was the head of the Department of Economics at New York University for several decades and uh, was a great monetary scientist. And these are the two papers which I would like to present to you. I find these uh, excellent papers, crystal clear argument and very valuable source of study. <clears throat> so let's first talk about Ludwig von Mises. Uh, this is a two-page ex excerpt from his great volume entitled Human Action, chapter 17. So we, I lifted this permit and made just very slight changes, and uh, I know that to read that whole volume is quite an enterprise for every one of us, especially for beginners, but perhaps this article will uh, be a good warm-up for and give you uh, desire to go for the whole hog and read the whole work. The very first sentence in this article <coughs> is something which I already mentioned, and I mentioned it in, uh, connect in uh, connection with the uh, Silver, the monetization problem. And I, at that time, I made a confession 
I confess that I, earlier in my career, took a position which was the same as the position of Mises, and also it happened to be the position of Milton Friedman, which was the view that silver was demonetized by the market and governments were fighting tooth and nail against this. They wanted to keep silver because they were inflationist at heart and in practice and they considered silver as a great way of diluting the money supply. Now that, uh, when I held this view was uh, about 20 years ago and uh, I just took it uncritically because most monetary scientists have that same view. And then I had occasion, especially last summer, uh, to do my own independent research and I came to the uh, opposite conclusion. I have talked about this, I'm not going to repeat this, but let me read this sentence of Mises, which uh, sounds very convincing, and as I said, I was convinced myself, but it took quite a bit of work and research to uh, disassociate myself from that view. The monetary doctrines which underpinned the endeavor of governments in trying to salvage by metallism have misconstrued the market phenomenon in that complete way in which only bureaucrats can misconstrue them. The attempt failed lamentably. It was this failure which gave birth to the gold standard, the emergence of which was a crushing defeat for the governments and their cherished doctrines. So that was the position of Mises and I accepted that without any reservation but now I see it differently. As I explained, I just uh, reviewed this very briefly. I now hold the view that the demonetization of silver was done by the governments. By and large, it was the result of a conspiracy. We don't have the full record. It is still kept in secret in government archives. Uh, but the suspicion is, and the circumstantial evidence is, that it was a conspiracy between the newly born uh, German Reich, the German Empire, after the Franco-Prussian War, 1871, and the United States, which came out victorious in its civil war against the South. They both had financial resources as a result of their victory uh, in the field, and they both were aspiring. Uh, uh, they had ambitions to become a great power uh, economically, and politically, and militarily as well. And uh, 
the uh, 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 the silver standard was a stumbling block in their ambition and plans. Why was it? I briefly indicated that, in my view, silver is not a friend of the government, as Milton Friedman and, and myself also believe, but it is an enemy. Why? Because it's widely spread in the various strata. All uh, people have access to silver, and therefore silver cannot be easily controlled. Gold can be controlled <coughs> much more easily. And uh, I also consider that the silver, uh, that the demonetization of silver, which is actually the destruction of silver, much more than just demonetization, because there was a 60 plus year uh, decline in the silver price from $1.29 an ounce all the way to 25 cents an ounce. It's an 80% uh, reduction in the value in the price and therefore in the value of the silver. And more important, even more important than that was the fact that silver was destroyed as a liquid asset. Before, silver was a monetary commodity and it was uh, therefore very liquid, in fact as highly liquid as, uh, as you can go. And uh, therefore, those who had their wealth in silver had easy access to uh, uh, funds if they needed them. And that was destroyed because silver could be sold at a very, very greatly reduced price, but with, with a lot of difficulty, just as any other illiquid asset uh, can be sold. But, uh, Losses are involved, and, and uh, taking it takes a great effort, and so on. So I, I am even willing to go to the extreme and say that the so-called demonetization of silver opened a new age, and I call it the age of deflation, because the uh, amount of uh, monetary commodities was reduced. Silver was eliminated, only gold was left. And the uh, whole theory of interest, which we are trying to develop in this course, is based on the idea that there is a marginal bondholder and he's doing arbitrage, and the arbitrage is between the bond market and the gold market. This is a schematic uh, description. You don't have to take that literally, that every saver has a bond to sell, and he would sell it if the uh, rate of interest is suppressed, because they could save in other forms, and, but 
I found this as a very good uh, way to uh, describe what is indeed happening. Schematic, but it captures the idea to talk about the arbitrage of the marginal bondholder between the bond market and the gold market. And of course, that's hoarding. And the opposite uh, movement is this hoarding. So uh, when silver was removed by this uh, government conspiracy, uh, government conspiracy, but inspired by the international banking cartel, that's very important. They were the main uh, protagonists and advisors and the pushers pushing governments in that direction, that silver should be abolished, silver as money should be abolished, should be destroyed, and it was, it was very successful. So it, um, why did this open uh, a new age, what I call the age of deflation rather than inflation? It did because the amount of monetary commodity which was uh, the ideal vehicle for this arbitrage of the marginal bondholder was greatly reduced. Silver was completely eliminated and only gold remained and gold was not accessible to the larger part of the population. It was <coughs> only accessible to the privileged few. Uh, and uh, therefore the ordinary people were completely left out. They could no longer cast a vote in uh, the question, should interest rates be increased? Because they had been pushed below the uh, rate of <coughs> marginal uh, time preference. So this is my present view, and I'm offering it to you uh, with the uh, remark that uh, do your own due diligence. You, uh, you should study the question, try it. Uh, I, I am only, I can only tell you what my studies suggest. I cannot pretend uh, to follow any uh, school. I have uh, gone through this and I am inviting you to do s the same. Study the question and come to your own conclusion. I think this is a very important question, not only to understand history, which is one thing and a very useful thing, but also to uh, see the shape of things to come. We want to see the future uh, to some extent as far as we can see and I am suggesting it to you that uh, uh, silver is going to make a comeback and that's imminent Silver is going to be once more an important monetary metal. 
and it will be the matter for the vast uh, majority of the people of small means, but whose saving is also very important, and they uh, will be able to cast their vote once more. They have been disenfranchised for uh, now that's uh, 140 years since the demonetization of silver. The small people had no input whatsoever in the determination of the interest rate. Silver is going to make a comeback and it will give the vote back to the, uh, to the uh, vast majority of uh, population. Now, that, uh, my remarks should not be interpreted as a kind of uh, speech against gold, something like William Jennings Bryan was, you know, the fiery orator. He's, he talked about the uh, crown of thorns and the cross of gold. He said, thou shalt not crucify mankind upon this cross of gold, meaning the gold standard, he called the gold standard, cross of gold, and, uh, which was a very effective oratorical uh, ploy, but the, the, that's very far from me to make. And, but silver is going to make a comeback. So to that extent, William Jennings Bryan was right. He was right in calling it the crime of 1873 when uh, the Congress of the United States uh, demonetized silver in an underhanded uh, way, quite unconstitutionally because Congress did not have the authority to do that simply because the United States Constitution directly addresses that particular coin, the standard silver dollar. Uh, uh, and um, without an amendment of the Constitution, there is no constitutional way to uh, demonetize silver. In spite of that, they did. All right, so that was the first sentence of, of that article, but I, I thought it was important to uh, put it into context. But the, re the rest of this uh, uh, excerpt from Human Action, which you have in before you, is an admirable statement of the merits of the gold standard. The gold standard makes division of labor possible to a very large extent. And uh, this may be strange, but it is true, and Mises uh, explains that, that the division of labor has its enemies. Well, most of the blessings which we enjoy in the 21st century uh, are due to division of labor, that, uh, which means specialization. We have various uh, trades, various professions, and 
uh, we become more and more proficient in one, what we are doing thanks to the possibility that we can concentrate <clears throat> on it. Now, uh, the gold standard was the embodiment of the age of capitalism, increasing welfare, liberty, democracy, both political and economic. It was an international standard as required by international trade in goods and capital. One has to see the blessings which trade between nations and capital investment across boundaries will bring to everybody. Um, I uh, may refer to a recent, a recent ex uh, example when the Soviet Union collapsed and these uh, so-called uh, captive nations, uh, parts of the Soviet empire which they uh, which the Soviet ex uh, acquired after World War II, they uh, had uh, 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 they had a chance to uh, uh, use their freedom to uh, develop their economies and give, uh, uh, give uh, the uh, benefits of greater economic and political freedom to the people. But, uh, but unfortunately that's not, that was not, wasn't quite successful for several reasons and, uh, and uh, the uh, national autarky, which is a technical world, it means that uh, countries refuse to take the benefits of uh, greater division of labor. They want to develop their own national economies. They believe that that is the way towards progress, which is, of course, a very uh, mistaken belief. And it is a tragedy of these nations, perhaps to a lesser or greater degree, uh, not uniformly applied across the board, but the fact is that by and large they did not take this opportunity of greater freedom to uh, uh, help themselves to the benefits of greater division of labor. Now, uh, referring to Mises, all those intent on sabotaging this evolution towards welfare, peace, freedom, democracy, hated the gold standard, hated as much as a human being can hate an, an institution, not another person, but an institution. And not only because of its economic significance, but in their eyes, the gold standard was the symbol of all those doctrines and policies which they wanted to destroy. In the struggle against the gold standard, much more was at stake than commodity prices, 
and foreign exchange rates. Now then he goes on and looks at different groups because this is not a homogeneous group, those who oppose the gold standard, but a rather heterogeneous group. Nationalists were fighting the gold standard because they wanted to cut off their countries from the world market and to establish national autarky. Here's that word, autarky, is the uh, national self-sufficiency, which would never uh, be a good substitute for the full division of labor worldwide, ignoring boundaries. Now another group, the interventionist governments and pressure groups were fighting the gold standard because they considered it the most serious obstacle to their endeavor to manipulate prices and wages. Now he comes to the third one, which is the most fanatical group. And the most fanatical attacks against the gold standard were made by those intent upon credit expansion. For them, credit expansion was a panacea for all economic ills. They thought that all economic ills can be cured uh, in short order by expanding credit, multiplying the quantity of money. And part of it is, of course, reducing the rate of interest. It could lower or even abolish interest, raise wage rates and prices for the benefit of all, except the parasitic capitalist. It could free the state from the necessity of balancing its budget and bring great benefit to the uh, population by freestanding, spending, and the welfare state, and subsidies, and so on. <clears throat> In short, it could make all decent people prosperous and happy. Only the gold standard that the village contrivance of wicked men could prevent mankind from attaining everlasting prosperity. So Mises has this wonderful summary of the anti-gold standard manifesto. These people who are sworn enemies of the gold standard. Some of them are very prosperous. Uh, have this uh, vision that if they have free reign, if they are not checked by the gold standard, they can do what they want, then it's like a magic, just wave the magic wand and then prosperity will be widespread. And economists, unfortunately, fell for this creed 
In fact, not only they applauded it, they were the chief uh, cheerleaders in that movement, but they developed pseudo-theories supporting this, uh, this uh, idea that if the government could get rid of these gold fetters, then the uh, uh, age of happiness would dawn on Earth. Now, ladies and gentlemen, here we are, a little over 40 years after the gold standard was stamped out forcibly in 1971. The uh, gold standard was removed, not only in the United States, <coughs> all over the world. There's not a single country could stay on the gold standard. So we have now a history of over 40 years to review. Did those blessings have arrived? And do we have now this perpetual happiness uh, freedom from want and misery and so on. Well, we must say that for a few decades during these, uh, <laughs> we had the impression, at least we were told, that, that, that you see, that's what happened. Look at the trade figures, look at the uh, investment, look at the global economy, and also remember that the uh, the Soviet Union collapsed during that four decades and that was also considered as a proof that you see but the uh, day of reckoning was coming and the day of reckoning came in 2008 when uh, the uh, uh, actually the first signal it's very interesting came uh, as uh, the uh, increase in the uh, uh, rate of interest which uh, governed the uh, bond, so-called bond insurance. They invented the uh, uh, insurance for government 